Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Olivia! Micah! <laughs> welcome to the new year and the new you. I forget yes. what I said on the first take. Yeah, no, that's okay. That totally works right now. <laughs> it is a new year. It's been like a thousand lifetimes since we sat together and chatted. This might be the favorite name of any episode we've ever done. Woo 2022. It's, it's <laughs> a fun one. Because we did one. it as a joke and then didn't know what to actually call it. Yeah. And then, and then we were worried, like, does it sound like some like organization like WOO 2022? We're living amongst so many acronyms these days, so. That's true. And you know what? I think we should make it one. I don't know yep. what for yet, but we'll figure something out. We can put my Hopefully name somewhere in that. Graphic, orthogonal, I don't know. I like it. And if someone's like, what the heck are you guys talking about today? We're going to be going over some articles that we have found recently that we love and links that we're super into. And then we're also going to talk about some stuff coming up for the new year. So things that we're excited about that the leak's working on without revealing everything. So we got to keep you guys hanging a little bit. And then I'm going to kind of go over some things I'm curious about that will likely be in our typographic landscape in 2022. Different aesthetics I'm seeing that I'm curious how they're going to progress and different ways the type world is moving. So I think it's going to be fun. Sweet, sweet. That sounds like good weekly typographic material right there. Thank you very much. Speaking of good weekly typographic material, we've got a killer link to get us started that, Micah, you have uh, contributed to this project. So tell us what we're looking at. Yeah, so Google Fonts no longer just serving fonts anymore. In this week's news, we have fonts knowledge from Google Fonts. <laughs> Google Fonts, they've been working a lot on increasing the educational side of fonts so that it's not just serving fonts as like a utility, you know, like they want to make the design industry better. Mm-hmm. They basically came up with this whole new section called Fonts Knowledge, where there's just tons of articles. I forget how many, 20 or something articles about all manner of topics from like why is typography important and you know what is a weight and a style uh, what are alternate glyphs what are variable fonts to stuff like understanding measure and line length and like how to pick fonts and and whatnot and it's it's a lot of material and my understanding is the majority of this was initially written by Mr. Elliot J. Stocks himself who, of course, is a genius and we love. Huge fans. And then they kind of contracted a bunch of excellent, knowledgeable type nerds to edit it and give feedback and suggestions on how they could improve it, some of which they did. And it's a little funny because they forgot to put my name on most of the things that I did contribute (laughs) because I was working on it with, you know, I've mentioned before my very good friend, Thomas Jonkin, who is also a type genius. So we sat down and collaborated on our feedback for everything. So they put in either his name or my name, but not both, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of funny. 
I found an exception to the rule on the pairing fonts article. Both your name and his name are lovingly featured. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> That's great. Yes. I mean, it's a great initiative. Elliot is a really great teacher. My sincere opinion is some of the structure and timing of some of these lessons, if we're going to call them lessons, were a little bit out of order. Diving into complex stuff before you know what it is and Mm. mentioning beginner stuff too late, that kind of thing. But they also did a really excellent job with the illustrations and the graphics and the writing style where like, if there's an article here that you're like, oh, you know what? I actually don't know what that is. Like I've been in typography and I don't know that, or I'm brand new to typography. It is a really friendly way to learn about the stuff. Definitely. I feel like this would have been excellent in like a type 101 class I was in. When you're first starting to learn about typography and there's all these terms, basically my version of this in college was thinking with type by Ellen Lupton, where it's like all Mm. this information gathered in one place, all these terms, like basic understanding of justification, but then also pairing fonts. I think it's a good primer or even like a good refresher for people that are still a little bit more on the novice side or people that are interested in type like the way you said. I like that. I like that it's written in a really approachable way. So even just a friend of mine that wasn't design minded but wanted to know about a specific thing, maybe I could send them to this resource. So I'm so excited you contributed and I think it makes it all the better because of it. And I'm so excited for everyone to kind of see this Really big project that has been released. Indeed. And hey, I'm honored that I was even considered that my opinion is useful to people. So Yes, it is. It matters. It's good stuff. (laughs) Uh, Kicking off Design Therapy 2022. (laughs) Everyone can use some. Our next article or link or find, I'd say it's a cool find (laughs) now that I say it out loud. I'm so excited about this. So during our podcast break that we've been on for like a month, which was lovely and rejuvenating, I was looking at the articles Steph has been sharing in our newsletter and just kind of combing through them. And I landed on an article of resources for typography, which led me to this site we have in front of us called 100 Days of Fonts. You can get to it easily by 100daysoffonts.com. And it is just so inspiring. So First, when you get to the site, it talks to you a little bit about the project. So basically for 100 days, designer Dohee Kim, who I'm a huge fan of, decided to just give herself a creative prompt of designing and typesetting something every day for 100 days. It was designed and coded with Google Fonts. So pretty much everything on the page is an open source typeface, which I think is really inspiring for people that are still in kind of learning phase with typography, want to see what you can do with fonts that you can literally just download and play with. This can be inspiring for young designers. It's really inspiring for me just to think about all these different layouts and typesetting and just all the things you can really do purely with type and color and space and relationships. I think this is really exciting and there's some really funny bits in it. I reached out to her and I was like, Dohi, how did I not know about this? She worked on this in 2015, which like kind of blows my mind because it just really oh. stands the test of time. It doesn't feel like stale or anything like that. It feels really fresh. There's just some sweet, almost poetic moments in it too, for mm. there's even 
given something that's like my five main food groups, fried okra, ribs, barbecue sauce, rice, and kimchi. And they're just like beautifully set on top of each other. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And every typeface used in this is credited for what the name of it is. So you can just go and find it. I think League Script is used here a few different Mm -hmm. times. So love to see that representation. But in general, I could literally look at this all day. There's a hundred different designs in here. So you could start from the bottom and work your way up if you want a different way to scroll it. Definitely really enjoyable. One of the highlights of the finds from this week for me. I got to be honest, I think this is the highlight for me too. This stuff is just so wonderfully inspiring. It reminds me a lot of back when I was starting web design when I was, I don't know, 14 years old or something like that. There was a place called CSS Zen Garden. And it was the same content, but designers would get to design all the CSS to make it look drastically different depending on whatever they wanted. And it was like this artistic project. So cool. And it's just so like, uh, this just makes me love design again. Yeah. The variety where it's also different, but also feels like it's all her at -hmm. the same time. And Mm -hmm. I don't even know how to describe why that is, but (laughs) it just is. And a bunch of these, I'm like, oh my gosh, that makes me want to design something like that because I just like it so much. Yeah. It makes Google Fonts look so good. Like, how is this not a link on the top of like fonts.google.com? Like, find inspiration here. (laughs) Oh my gosh. This also just reminds me, like, the current league site is not doing everything that I wish that it was. I love this kind of inspiration. Mm-hmm. We need to get somebody who wants to make a cool micro site for each league font and make that the website. I was going to say this really reminds me of like the microsites that we find and love, just like using typography in ways that are either unexpected or interesting or just beautifully typeset. And I feel the same way. It makes me love design again. What a gosh darn bop. Love it. Great way to start 2022. Woo-woo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moving along. Um, Micah, I'm going to let you take the stage a little bit on this one, but it is very exciting because it is um, a project made with League Spartan, and uh, it's by Animography, and you have a lot more info on this than I do, so I'm just <laughs> passing the mic to you. Yeah, that's fine. This is what the kids like to call a collab. So Animography is this very cool company I linked up with a long time ago. I actually knew about them before we started collaborating on anything because I went to school for motion graphics. And what they do is they make animated typefaces for like for After Effects for the most part, I think. So they take existing typefaces. It's not that they're designing the typefaces. They take the existing typefaces and come up with interesting animations for each letter that are controllable in the software so that a motion graphics designer doesn't have to do an entire alphabet by hand. If they're like working on some commercial or something, it saves buckets of time because you can have the text animate on in this really unique and interesting way without having to code it to do it yourself. So we collaborated a long time ago. I don't even know, but At some point, it was kind of like League Spartan has changed a lot over time. We've like pulled in changes and made it variable and expanded it a lot. And so at a certain point, a couple of years ago, I think, the designer who did the first version of the animated League Spartan, Philip Von Boris, who's extremely talented, 
uh, he was like, I want to do an updated version. So we came up with a good deal and he worked on it extremely hard for a really long time. And it finally just launched, I think last week, which is version two of the animated typeface and version two of League Spartan, the typeface. So it's a good coordinated effort. And it's nice because there is a free trial version, but the actual item is for sale. And I like it because it's a way to like, it's an avenue for like an open source font to still make revenue from both for Philip and Animography and for us. Like we get a cut if anybody wants to buy it because the open source typeface is still available for everybody. And it's these really beautiful functional additions on top that you're paying for, like the convenience of having it animated, which is cool. I just feel like that's a good avenue for open source fonts. You put that all so eloquently. I'm so glad I had to explain it all. Great. I think that's really interesting when you mentioned we have just endless income from other places. Like it is great that there is a different use of League Spartan that can help the creator that make it help us a little bit. And it's just like a really cool product. And again, it can save people a bunch of time. There's so many awesome specimen images on this site too, which Mm. make me so excited. And like if I was doing more animation, I'd be like, oh, heck yeah, I want to try this out. Just feels like very suave and cool and (laughs) I don't know easily like if I saw just like a frame during you know like a commercial or some animated thing I was watching and it just had this type on it I'd be like oh that's super cool and then it's like even better that it's so easy to actually do and it's super accessible for people to just plug it in and voila League Spartan animated exactly fun I love that moving forward This one's a really interesting article, actually. It's called How to Convince Stakeholders for a Typeface Change. It's by Atul Kola. I'm hoping I pronounced that correctly. And it's almost like a case study of how this designer approach stakeholders. So... Not exactly sure like what that means in the hierarchy, but if you can imagine people that are making decisions for a company, he presented them with a proposal to change a typeface. And he talks about how a proposal to change a typeface can be costly, takes a lot of time. It has to change a lot of the systems that are already built in the company. So like it's usually not something that people are so easily willing to change without having some evidence as to why it's necessary. So he actually shares the deck images from what he shared to the stakeholders of reasons to change the typeface for the company. And it is really broken down into very logical steps that I'm like, oh my God, I'm convinced that like if I, you know, if I had a really good reason to change typography on a digital product I was working on, I could take these steps and potentially change someone's mind. I mean, they're talking about, he first showed them, I guess the stakeholders, their main inspiration for their digital product was Airbnb's beautiful design, something that's like really well known. And the first thing that they did was change the Airbnb design and then put the typeface that they were currently using onto Airbnb to prove just how dull and they say suboptimal it is. And I think that's like a really interesting design strategy because I remember when we did the Burger King rebrand at JKR, when they were presenting it to all the employees, they like basically showed the Burger King logo on a gas station. And you're like, seeing things in different contexts, you could be like, oh, gross. Yeah, hell no. 
I like that's not something I want to like buy fresh like food from. So I'm always for that strategy. And then they talk about, you know, certain more technical things like how X height can play an influence on UI design and typography, how changing from different static fonts to variable fonts could save people's time on different teams, stuff like that. And it's just, I don't know, it's just really thorough. And there's a lot more examples in here. I think it's interesting. I haven't seen many articles like this before. Yeah, I agree. I haven't seen many articles like this at all. And the detail is very inspiring. It honestly took me, I think, a pass to understand which one he was trying to propose changing. Like, I first read it as we should change to this and then realized that a lot of it was we should change away from this. Mm -hmm. So once I got that, I was like, oh, okay, now a lot of this makes more sense. And a lot of what was convincing was he said something towards the end like, Yes, it's a part of our branding, ultimately, because it's something that is being used with the product, right? But just because we used it before to, like, get it going doesn't mean we're bound by it. We have Uh the ability to change it. Yeah. I also think they were trying to, like, prove the concept. It sounds like this company was using the company font in their logo. And so that's why the stakeholders also had an attachment to it. They're like, well, the font's right. used in our logo. It creates brand equity. When, like, reality, Nike isn't using Futura Bold Condensed for, like, everything. And, like, Coca-Cola is not using their scripty font to use as, like, a text typeface. So I think that what you're saying made a really good point. I like that a lot. Right. I will say the one thing that wasn't super convincing, probably just because I'm not in the project, was the lax visual maturity slide. Mm-hmm. Where I was kind of like, okay, I don't really see any specific demonstration of that. I'm not convinced by that, but maybe if I was in the room, it would have felt different, you know, invested in, in the brand or whatever. I felt similarly, especially when there's so many great technical just examples spread amongst that. Which is the majority of them, so... Very convincing. Good. I'm glad. We're on the same page. Last article is from AIGA's Ion Design, my favorite blog ever. What? You like this blog? That's weird. That's never come up. (laughs) so funny. (laughs) Um, It's titled, How Three Designers Created the Rose Art Project, Typeface Revival, and a Labor of Love. I just love when AIGA does this, like, let's chat with some designers about how they made a typeface. This is actually a pretty large type family and a big undertaking. So I didn't know this, but there was a type designer named Jacques-Francois Rosard. It might be Rosard, not Rosart. I'm going to say Rosart because then you can like Google this and oh. understand. Yeah. He was actually an 18th century punch cutter in the Netherlands. And this group that met as classmates in type school decided to revive a lot of the type and revive a lot of different type he was working on. So there's like a text face, there's a display face, ornaments, flourish capitals, and a black letter typeface that they made. And it goes into details about like all the things they were looking at, you know, everything you take for a grain of salt. Like they were saying that they looked at his initial drawings and they were really not impressive. And then as they kind of continue to look through his stuff, they actually realized he kind of had this just like nice quirk to all the stuff that he was doing that made his pieces feel unique. And they were trying to like figure out how to modernize that balance with modernizing his typefaces, but also like keeping this man's character within them. And it's just kind of like an interesting overview of how revivals work, a topic that we uh, may be talking about later (laughs) this year. And just some nice visuals. I love these flourish capitals. I could look at those a lot. (laughs) I love the 
source material. It's so satisfying to see the texture of the paper and the inconsistencies. and It's just a little bit off and you're like, oh, that's so nostalgic and wonderful. Mm-hmm. I feel you. No, like, perfect Bezier cold hard edges like we're used to these days. Right. It's just neat, refreshing. <laughs> so just a nice thing to look at. And then they link to all the typefaces that were actually made from this project. And uh, if nothing else, you've now learned of a new punch cutter from the 18th century in the Netherlands. <laughs> and a beautiful new font that exists currently. Yes. And there's, and I think it's like there's so many people that worked on it. Uh, if you want to look at the typefaces, they're across a couple different foundries. So there's a link to those at the bottom as well. Love it. Honestly, this is like... Um... I don't know. I feel like the spec images that are in here of the modern version that they made from it, the revival, remind me of what I used to love so much about Hoffler, you know? Yeah, I definitely get that. Like almost hearkening back to a before times feeling so modern. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Cool. I'm going to lead this very brief pseudo nerd alert now, <laughs> guys. <laughs> That's how we're starting this year off. So, Micah. We got some stuff ahead of us this year. Yeah, the goal is just to like give some people an idea of what we have in store for the league this year, right? Mm -hmm. Six months ago, we started prepping our Nerd Alert topics ahead of time. And that has been life-changing. And I do not mean that lightly. <laughs> life-changing for me. Yeah, thanks, Steph. I'm no longer scrambling to uh, think of something to talk about like five days before we record a podcast. So we have some of those to tease for the first time ever. We'll be teasing some nerd alerts. I'm very excited. Mm -hmm. So like I mentioned, we're actually going to be doing a nerd alert on type revivals, how they happen, different kinds of revivals, how designers approach those projects, which I think is really cool. If you Google how to do a type revival. The third oh article is a Tumblr post from the League of Movable Types. So if anyone wants a little nostalgia, I think that's really funny. And oh we'll gosh. be updating all that information with the podcast. <laughs> information yes. we'll be conveying. We'll be talking about different type observations as we do in the Nerd Alerts. I'm very fascinated in... Um, the death metal type trend, lettering trend that is happening. I'm going to tweet about it later today and uh, see if anyone else has any insight, but I'm probably going to do a deep dive into that very soon. And then loving the idea of like how type and pop culture get intertwined. So Valentine's Day is next month. And even though none of us are avid Valentine's Day celebrators, we are very curious about how fonts and Valentine's Day interact and how fonts are used to express romance, love, sexiness sometimes. <laughs> you yesterday learned the word smut for the first time. Okay. Very hilarious. But smut is not popular word right now. I'm still standing <laughs> oh, by <yes>. this. <laughs> you learned that it was most popular in what, like 1925? Yes. When I was first born. So Talking about some smut. <laughs> I Ugh, I feel so wrong saying it. That's the point. That's why it's great. Yeah, and we're going to also be talking about, you know, some type books that we're loving, giving some shout outs to, to creators out there. So mm. that's the Nerd Alert. And then workshops, obviously, it's still working out for the rest of the year, but we do have a couple topics that are on the schedule that are very exciting. We know people love to hear about pairing fonts. That's just going to be an awesome workshop that's going to be coming later this spring, how to 
pair fonts, tips, tricks. I feel like even I am an experienced designer. I still struggle sometimes. That's going to be great. And then we're also going to have a workshop, which I'm also very excited about, that's going to be about skills for vector drafting letters and type and letter forms. And learning those techniques can like just save hours off of your process as a designer or a lettering artist or a type designer. So that's going to be very exciting. And kind of tease another one too. You know, we just finished a really awesome workshop on pricing your work as a creative. And we're trying to see what a good extension of that could be for some time, maybe the middle of the year or something like that. To keep going with that theme of, yeah, we want you to learn more about the technical techniques of the craft that you're interested in, whether it's designing type or designing with type. The kind of emotional, psychological stuff that goes behind that craft and the business of making it all work as a creative. So I think the other thing, too, is that we're definitely still hoping to find new teachers that we haven't really encountered yet and new topics. Um, One of the things that I like the most about the way we were approaching workshops last year was finding people whose work we like and saying, what do you want to teach? Like, what do you think people would most benefit from that you know and like teaching? So if anybody out there knows anybody that might be a good teacher, whether they've taught before or not, you know, we have a lot of educational experience that we can help people teach better. So a lot of our teachers have kind of been newbie to teaching, but know their stuff. Mm -hmm. So if anybody out there knows anybody that might be a cool person to add to the roster, hook us up. I don't know. Even if it's just like, hey, I love this person. Maybe you could contact them. Yeah. Agreed. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I second that. I think our programming for workshops has been amazing. And any new teachers, people that have taught before, people that have taught in different formats, all welcome to join our little family. Okay, here's the moment where I just start pondering things. And I'm just like, Micah, what do you think about that? We have three topics I want to ponder. Oh, shoot. Okay. I'm unprepared. That's great. Okay. It's like stuff that I've seen in 2021 that I think will continue onward this year. And I'm curious in what ways it's going to manifest itself. Death metal. Yes. And death metal... No, because I'm so curious about that. We're going to spend a whole nerd alert on it. Okay. (laughs) So the first thing is type as expression of culture and identity. This has been around for some time, but I think it's really been given a spotlight for the first time in the past year or so. Trey Seals obviously blew up because of his work showcasing underrepresented cultures and history and reviving type to tell their story. That's one place we've seen it. Even Juan Villanueva's kind of initiative called Typefaces as Cultural Objects, like gathers designers that have made typefaces based on some aspect of Latin American culture or history. One example I remember was Ancho by Beatrice Lozano, I believe. And it was literally inspired by the architecture in a city in Latin America. So I just think it's interesting. We are finding inspiration for typefaces that aren't existing in the common canon, and it's becoming more inclusive. As the borders open globally for type designers to be accessing education and to be creating a network, I just think we're just going to continue to see type that is going to be original solely because we are just letting more people into the door 
And that is very inspiring and that's very exciting. And I'm very optimistic about that. And I hope we'll like continue. I think another interesting thing is people, I feel like this year we had a lot of articles about type designers, specifically women type designers that were trying to break down the conceptions of gender typography. Mm. Why is it that we use bold, heavy, maybe even sans serif, all caps type to convey something masculine and something like maybe delicate and script-like to convey something feminine? And I think that also relates to how we can kind of use type to be like a subversive trick for maybe identities or misconceptions that we have. That was like things I'm thinking about, you know? <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of that has come to the attention too because of Type Weekend. A lot of the yes. programming in Type Weekend in the past two years, which is as long as it's been around, has been from people challenging those longstanding viewpoints, mm-hmm. breaking down the doors, not letting anybody in, just breaking them down. And yeah. being like, hey, actually, my culture has a long history and is important, too. Even if nobody usually notices it, let me talk you through some of the details. And then mm-hmm. we all start learning a little bit more about it. And I think that has also given more of a platform for some of the people who have been focusing on that their whole career, which some of those people have a long career and some of them are just getting started in their type careers. But I think more and more we are finding people who are focusing on some specific Asian culture that America doesn't know exists, basically, other than on a map. Mm -hmm. Um, And basically coming in being like, hey, this is as important as anything anybody else is doing. Yeah. I'm very excited about this notion. And um, we can just like continue to track this year. And then next year, January, we'll be like, Olivia was right. The world's a better place for it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So that's my most deep observation. And it wasn't even that deep, but that was like, (laughs) everything else was a little bit more service level guys, but just bear with me. So I think we're going to start pushing boundaries of death metal. Of what? Death metal. metal. Yes. We'll get to that next week. I'm obsessed. (laughs) We're pushing boundaries of production of typography with Mm. the technology we have. So, okay, for example, I feel like with letter forms, I just feel like I'm seeing parts of letter forms just get skinnier and skinnier until like I'll look at a screen and the tapered serif of font is thinner than literally a piece of my hair. (laughs) I don't know. But I also think that this is only due to the very high quality of screens that we are like now surrounded that a portion of the population is surrounded by. I'm not going to like make that generalization statement, but like, I feel like it's a really big trend right now. There's like a trend in making like spiky serifs. I feel like that's like a weird, like kind of art nouveau revival type thing. But then I just feel like I literally saw a type the other day that the letter had to be like four inches on my screen, four inches tall. And the thinnest part was still microscopically thin. I mean, that's interesting. Okay. And obviously you're right. Screens are just increasing in resolution and have been for years. So it makes sense that it's going in that direction. I'm just curious. I think we're going to start seeing that with type. And then I think even if we consider really, really fat type, maybe people will be exploring how tiny their negative space can get without disappearing. I think people are experimenting in 
that way. And I'm just curious where that's going to go. I think people have always been interested in this. If you think of Caslon Black back in the 70s or 80s, like really thick, thicks, really thin thins, a lot of that high contrast letter forms came from technological advances. Even when Bodoni and Baskerville did their thing, it's only because they had advanced printing techniques that allowed them to get thin thins and thick thicks. Interesting. This just makes me think of Thomas sent me a blog article from the Chrome developer team. They have like this very obscure, detailed technical blog about the stuff that they're working on. And one of the things they're working on is bringing color fonts to the browser, which is funny. Interesting. We haven't even talked about it that much because there's pretty limited support for color fonts. And I think a lot of people are mm-hmm. just like, color fonts, what do you mean? And it's sort of where you can use more advanced image techniques and sometimes literally images like bitmaps inside of a font. And it sounds from the blog sort of like a little bit of their the push to do it is because Google specifically is trying to hype up icon fonts. They like recently added icon fonts to Google fonts and icons are in the same bucket as emojis, right? Where there's some use for them to be super colorful and have different variations and whatnot. So I don't feel like that's going to explode out the gate. I think, to be honest, kind of like when Chrome added support for web fonts, I think it took a couple years for everybody to start using them. And so I have a feeling in a bit, (laughs) we're going to start seeing some experiments with it And maybe in a year or two, it's going to be a whole other leg of the industry that we've barely seen. Exciting. That's something to keep our eyes on this year. Thinking about technological advances. Yeah. I feel like we're just like so far in tech. And part of me is like, oh, the technological advances are like AR, BR, deep fakes, whatever. But Mm. there are like other, exactly, like even color fonts, that would be a technological advance. Yeah, it's crazy to think that the thing that most people interact with on a computer these days is a browser, right? Exactly. And there's still tons of limitations in type support in the browser, just because there hasn't been much of a need for some of them. There might have been a desire from some designers or whatever, but not much of a need, you know? Yeah. So there's still a lot of support to add for browsers. Yeah. Crazy. I like it. I like the techie Micah input on that one because i was just yeah. like thin things keep on getting thinner but which is true that's also true <laughs> the no, hardware is changing the software yeah. is changing and it feels like i think we're all so used at this point we're so used to things changing so quickly that it just sounds absurd that minimal changes like this don't exist already but the fact that they don't means there's still room to expand exactly all right final point I think what's been happening in 2021 is going to influence what starts to happen in the coming years. And no, similar to COVID, I'm talking about ink traps. They're super (laughs) contagious. Everyone's using them. Everyone's designing them. Everyone gets them. I love how I used to be against ink traps and you were like, no, they're cool. And now you're like, they're not that cool. Okay, I just received this really interesting perspective on ink traps and why they've blown up. And now I'm like, ooh, I think this is predicting the future. So me and Micah have complained for like 18 months how 
ink drops everywhere. I'm usually like, oh, they're kind of cool. So I don't really care. And Micah's like, why are they existing? Like they make no sense. And so finally, there was like a really astute observation that I came across. I'm ready to share and is like getting my wheels turning. So Print Magazine did this like the state of typography or whatever article for the end of last year. We shared it in the newsletter and there was this really interesting explanation of why this trend appeared from design critic Stephen Heller, who's very famous. And he said, I think people are doing it now because they can. And by doing it, being using ink traps or designing with ink traps. He says, it's taking an official sans serif, corporate sans serif, and adding a personality to it. And that's just the nature of the time and the technology we have. I'm not sure what the overall aesthetic is, but anybody specking type for a book, booklet, or poster now that's not going to use custom lettering will go for a letter that gives a little jolt or a little aftertaste. So he's arguing the fact that we have transcended InkTraps functionality usage and InkTraps as a functional thing and are now using it to add just the slightest bit of personality to a sans serif, which is typically a little bit more corporate, more straightforward. There's only so many ways to spin a sans serif without turning into a display font completely. And so like this is, I think, type designers tricks into making their typeface stand out a little bit from the crowd. And I think ink traps in general are like a little wink and nod to other type designers out there. Most people that look at fonts don't even know what an ink trap is. And so I feel like for so long we were seeing like case studies where these design studios were retrofitting the concept of the ink trap into the design, which I'm just at a place, if you want to use an ink trap, it's okay if it's just aesthetic. It's okay if you want to stand out. Like we don't need to keep on calling ink traps like this, you know, major conceptual choice. I think it's interesting thinking about it as ways for the designers to be rethinking a sans serif. And I think that ink traps, not necessarily ink traps themselves, but there will be other devices like that that are going to continue forward as literally every sans serif that doesn't have that much of a distinct personality is just looking exactly the same. (laughs) I completely agree. This is classic type design industry personality, I feel, right? It's like, hey, we're doing this thing because it looks cool, but saying it looks cool, we need something headier than that. We need something that, that sounds smarter so that it can be conceptual and like important. And there's always been some element of that in so much of the type design industry. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think that's going away. And it's insightful to say, I think that is part of why I was never a huge fan of ink traps. I just never quite had the words for why I thought that was just more annoying than anything else. I don't think it's going to be this year, but like maybe in 2023 or 2024, they're going to become like gimmicky. Like people, they're going to be like overused almost and people are going to move beyond. What the heck? I think they already are. Okay. There's, (laughs) there's the mega rich. Yeah. I think you're probably right. Like I think they're already gimmicky to me because I was annoyed from the beginning Mm -hmm. and people are starting to find out what it is now in a lot of ways. Like it's, bleeding into corporate branding and whatnot. So I agree. It's going to be gimmicky by the time it gets overused. Yeah. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there's something related to variable fonts that is next. Ooh. Where like variable fonts feels so crazy and weird right now, but I don't know what it's going to be because some of it's useful, right? But uh, so are ink traps once upon a time. So I don't know. Yeah. I like that prediction. Like a... Woo 2022, guys. <laughs> there it is. What a fun time. I'm so glad we're back on the podcast train. What a fun time. So good. I like it. 
All right. I guess we also should mention we have at least one cool interview lined up. I think maybe a couple interviews lined up that are going to be coming this year, too. So those will be sprinkled in in the middle if you love the interviews, which I do. I think they're cool. And there's definitely going to be more than two in the year, but we've just oh, got two yeah, on well, deck. Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. Just saying there's there's at least a couple to look forward to immediately and part of the programming. <laughs> the programming. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week because we're back on our weekly schedule. Do-do-do-do. Do-do-do-do. Thank you.